welcome to episode 67 of Understanding Latin American Politics, the podcast. I'm Greg Weeks at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And today I'm talking to Jason Marzak, who is director of the Adrian Arsht Latin America Center at the Atlantic Council. And he's been active in studying Latin America for a long time. Uh, previously, you were with the America's Society and Council for the Americas. Um, and yesterday, the council hosted an event, China, Oil, and Venezuela, Myths, Reality, and the Future, that we'll be talking about. So, Jason, thanks for doing this. Great, great to talk to you. So, I always start with, with somebody that, uh, that hasn't been on the podcast before. Start with the question of how did you get interested in studying Latin America in the first place? Well, that, uh, that, that's, a, that's a great question, Greg. You know, I first became interested in Latin America when, when I was um, uh, growing up outside Chicago and uh, started studying uh, Spanish and uh, lived in, in an area where there, there were many uh, Mexican migrants uh, that, that, uh, that, had, that had moved to the area. And Chicago is, of course, a, a large destination for, for Mexicans. And, and, uh, and, and my interest at that point was uh, about uh, uncovering a, a region uh, that I was actually fascinated by, a region that, you know, especially in the you know, early 90s, really, you know, still doesn't get the attention it deserves, but still really was, was, was under the radar screen. Uh, and I think for me, it was, it was this combination of, uh, of, of all of the, the, the political transitions that were happening at the time, uh, the economic transitions, uh, as well as, frankly, a love of the people, uh, a love of um, the culture, uh, a love of, um, of, of the warmth of the region, and, and frankly, the, the, you know, my, my continued optimism for all that Latin America uh, has um, the potential to, to achieve moving forward. I spent time living in the region, uh, first in Argentina as well as well in Peru, and actually uh, I, I can now count that pr pretty much wherever I travel in the region I have a, a, a long-time friend to, uh, to call up and, and, uh, and, and, and reacquaint with. So out of curiosity, did you learn Spanish growing up or did that come later? I learned Spanish growing up, and then uh, you know I think really perfected than, than actually living in the region, um, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 yeah, I've been working now uh, on Latin America uh, political economic issues for I guess just just over twenty years, uh, and doing so from a, um, a perspective a perspective uh, from where I'm right now at a think tank, but also previously a business association, previously doing international development work, working on the Hill. Uh, but always kind of, especially over the last, I would say, probably you know, 10, 15 years, really recognizing the, the important linkage between the public and private sectors. And we really see those two elements as critical for solving the region's, region's challenges. And actually, Greg, I'll say one more thing that, you know, I came to the Atlanta Council to help start the, the Latin America Center here. And my, my vision of the region really aligns with that of, of the founder of the center, Adrian Arsch, who, whose vision is that Latin America has so many opportunities um, but we in the U.S. generally just focus on the challenges and focus on the same agenda of drugs and guns and violence. And we need to have a fresh new agenda, recognize Latin America's broader uh, uh, global importance and the strategic uh, relationship with the United States. Yeah, and actually, uh, I don't mean to derail the conversation, but obviously the name itself, Atlantic Council, doesn't, doesn't make you immediately think of Latin America. No, it doesn't. You know, the Atlantic Council uh, is a, is a uh, 60-year-old startup. Um, and it was a Wyoming House organization that was traditionally, by the name, uh, focused on U.S.-European ties. That's right. still the core of, of, the, uh, of the organization. But that changed about 15 years ago 
and the organization moved from being only a, about 12 people to now probably around 200 or so, uh, with regional centers covering every part of the world as well as the MAC centers, but all with this underpinning that the Atlantic relationship is so fundamental to everything we do in that strong partnership between the U.S. between the U.S. and, and Europe. Uh, so that's, this is why, you know, we're, we, I, I don't run our center as being a, an island focused on Latin America, but really as part of a broader organization uh, where I can draw on the resources and the insight, uh, the collective insight, frankly, of those who worked around the world to help to think through how to solve challenges in the region, but also where are there things that are going right in Latin America that should be shared with a broader global audience. Okay. So think of the Atlantic Council. So you had this event on... Uh, China, oil, and Venezuela. So how how did that go? You know, Greg, thanks for asking. I think I think it was it was it was good. It was a good crowd. Uh, always important for us. We we do events because we're trying to uh, uh, put issue places put issues in the media that might not be getting the attention that, that they deserve. So you know, great to have a, a number of media with uh, there and uh, asking among them to to uh, to pick it up. Um, and, and I would say as well, you know, I think that there there is a lot of attention right now to Venezuela, and I'm just trying to figure out what is happening. And we try to always go to go one step beyond that and think that not just what is happening, but what are solutions to get us to our desired goal, right? And, and, and I'll say my desired goal is accelerating, and frankly, that the organization accelerating a peaceful and democratic transition uh, in Venezuela. So this was the first. Uh, I think the first public event in, in Washington that really zoned in on the importance of China specifically uh, uh, as being critical for for the for the for the a transition in, in Venezuela. I'm looking at both the uh, the, the, the things that, that the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, and uh, and so I think that, that that's that's important because there's a I think a misunderstanding uh, of the role of China, but also a mis also I think a underappreciation. For how great power con conflict or great power competition is playing out right in Latin America, and specifically playing out right right in Venezuela, uh, where you have uh, obviously the China, but also Russia, Turkey, uh, a number of other uh, uh, actors that are trying to, uh, I think, actively uh, undermine a democratic transition. All right, so I, I want to start with kind of a basic question, and that is. How much does China even care about Venezuela beyond just protecting its investments? So that's, that's a great question. I think you know. I think that for, for China, um, when you look around the world, uh, Venezuela, of course, is uh, is not a, a top priority for for China. Um, what, what what is a, what is a priority? You look at is 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 it is the fact that it has um, uh, you know, sixty billion dollars, over sixty billion dollars uh, in loans that are that are that it's, it provides to Venezuela. Now, that's you know just a fraction of the three hundred billion dollars globally. Uh, but for China, it's important to um, uh, to to be repaid uh, for the loans that it's provided. Uh, it's also it's also important to um, uh, have uh, to be a promoter of I, I think uh, of what China sees as as stability, and this is. This is uh, this is important to point out. I think first of all, it's, it's virtually impossible to separate the economics and the political situation in Venezuela. Um, you know, the Maduro regime has been responsible for a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions, with regional spillover effects, um, and the uh, Chinese are following these are following this. Well, part, partly because as well, China has significantly ramped up its own interest in, in Latin America. I mean, it's, it's Trading relationships, commercial relationships, the region has grown 25 times 
uh, from 12 billion in uh, 1999 to over 300 billion uh, uh, last year. Um, and, and so, so China is involved for, for, for a couple of reasons. One is, um, one is, as you say, is protecting its investments. Uh, there's also opportunities for China to make additional uh, uh, money on surveillance capacity. The the um, uh, the uh, ZTE helps Venezuela create China-style uh, social controls. Uh, the the Carne de Patria, uh, the the fatherland card that uh, the Maduro regime give, gives out, is has includes uh, Chinese technology. Um, and so there are there are a, a number of, of of reasons that China finds Venezuela uh, appealing because it's, it's the oil, um, it's it's uh, the oil that it receives, it's, it's the investments, uh, it's the surveillance technology. Uh, but I think also there everything when you look at China goes back to China's national uh, priorities as well, right? And top top of mind for China is um, is, is Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, uh, South China Sea, and. For China, if, if, if there was um, uh, a, a, a right, uh, if, the, the, if, 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 in, if the right to self, if the, if the right, if the right to, um, uh, of the people uh, to uh, uh, push to, to push for their own government, um, and even though the even though the interim government in Venezuela is supported by the majority of the Venezuelan people, it's the will of the Venezuelan people to have an interim government. China uh, still sees the uh, election, even though it was fraudulent, as putting in place the uh, act the the political leaders uh, that China wants to deal with. And if there's ever any threat to the political leadership that China is dealing with, China sees that as a as a threat to its own. Ability to 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 control um, uh, uh, territories within its its national expanse. Uh, I hope I explained that right. But it, but it's it, it there's there is a there is a, a real um, uh, everything everything in Beijing goes back to uh, control over Hong Kong. It comes comes back to unification with Taiwan. It comes back to the South China Sea and um, and, and and stability. Uh, even though it's not, even though the regime in in, in Caracas, the Maduro regime is not democratically elected, uh, at least for the for the Chinese, they see that as, as stability, and they see as always promoting stability as as critical in the long term. Uh, I'll say one other thing is, as well: the, the Chinese look at everything, uh, as you know, not not from a one or two or three year plan, but we look at things for a ten or twenty or thirty year plan, right? And so. Um, I think for the Chinese as well, what is what is critical is to show that that the uh, bet on the Maduro regime is not the long term bet. Uh, that Maduro might be, you know, he's he's he's, he's holding on to power right now, uh, but he's he's teetering uh, on the brink, and just and and and, uh, and that cling to power is not something sustainable. And for the, once the Chinese recognize that, that would be important. I think for uh, helping to uh, shift Chinese position, which is frankly uh, all about being being uh, uh, practical with regard to China's long-term economic interests. So is uh, so right now. Obviously, China in uh, in Venezuela is taking a position that is in direct counterpoint to the U.S. But to what degree is China willing to antagonize the U.S. over Venezuela? Well, I, I think uh, you know. I think that the, the, obviously. The very different positions over Venezuela right now. 
Uh, we saw that, and, and frankly, China holds a different position from most of Latin America and from uh, over 50 democracies around the world. And we saw that even with Latin America play out earlier this year when China refused to grant visas to members of the interim government during the Inter-American Development Bank, uh, what, was to, what was to be the Inter-American Development Bank annual meetings in Chengdu. And as a result of that, the IDB canceled its annual meetings since the interim government was not going to be able to be represented. So, so there, there's a different position from, from much of much of the region. Uh, I, I think that this is um, this has the potential uh, to uh, cause additional problems for China. Uh, China has invested significantly, not only with the IDB, but uh, its commercial and economic interests across across Latin America. And the more that um, China's position runs contrary, and not only runs contrary, not only the position running contrary, but it actually has detrimental negative uh, impacts on countries across the region. That that could that could help to spark a, a, a change in, in, in Chinese position. But going back to your question, the the, the Chinese, um, you know, I, I think that we, we we could even potentially even consider Venezuela a, a strategic quid pro quo in some regards with with alleged U.S. influence in, in Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, the the protests in Hong Kong, uh, uh, roughly protests in Hong Kong that. The, the Chinese, uh, including including their representation here in Washington, uh, have accused the U.S. of, of, of trying to uh, 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 perpetuate these protests. Um, and so I think that the, the Chinese, uh, they, they see what is what is happening in their own territory, and they see the, the, they, they, they accuse the U.S. of meddling, and they, and they see an opportunity to also probably cause, cause some, some uh, 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 you know, challenges within 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 the U.S. own uh, own hemisphere, not in the same sense as the Russians, but but I, I think that that does exist. Uh, there is also, of course, um, uh, you know, obviously ma major tensions in the bilateral relationship between the U.S. and China, despite the recent uh, despite the recent uh, trade trade truce. Uh, but I think having said all that, China, whether or not China is willing to cross the red line with the U.S. over Venezuela. Is you know it, it's 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 a question um, that goes beyond Venezuela because I think that that there that Venezuela is a, as I said is is important to the Chinese, but it, it, it is not a um, uh, a, a top uh, foreign policy uh, uh, interest, um, and and in fact I think there could be an opportunity for uh, one of those rare opportunities of collaboration between the United States and between China because. When you look at it from a 10,000-foot level, there there is a um, uh, an alignment between the U.S. and Chinese priorities in Venezuela. Both U.S. and China want peace and stability, and uh, at, at the 10,000-foot level. Now, how to get to that peace and stability? That is where you see that divergence. But at least there is a common thread and a common uh, underpinning between the two countries. Uh, again, the the, the um, the, uh, it, the question becomes: uh, Can can the U.S. and China uh, uh, find alignment beyond that? And and also, I think that the broader question is: uh, How do you raise the cost for China in continuing to support the Maduro regime? Yeah, and. It at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to kind of tease out or just even think through in my own mind the, um, the, the pragmatic side of the Chinese because I'd been reading that, that China is no longer purchasing Venezuelan crude or at least had cut way down. And, um, and it seemed to me that this was based on U.S. sanctions. So 
What does that say about the Chinese view of the U.S. vis-a-vis Venezuela? Well, Greg, you know the, the U.S. sanctions have certainly had 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 an effect. Um, uh, as, as you mentioned, that it's widely China skipped um, cargo loads in Venezuela for August and September. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean, though, that China has stopped purchasing Venezuelan crude. In fact, it or actually rather purchasing it, um, a, a lot of the crude that shipped to the, all the crude that shipped to Venezuela, from Venezuela to China is in repayment of, of Chinese loans. Uh-huh. But okay. Venezuelan oil is also still likely arriving in China. It's just arriving through other channels. Um, uh, uh, through, you know, for example, through Rosneft, which continues to trade Venezuelan oil in spite of U.S. sanctions. Uh, widely reported of ship-to-ship transfers uh, in Malaysia. Um, imports, uh, Bloomberg had reported that imports from Malaysia rose uh, significantly, uh, making Mal- Malaysian uh, oil imports, this, making Malaysia the seventh biggest uh, supplier to China, uh, up from 16th in August, so a dramatic increase in just, just the last little bit. Um, much of that oil has been transferred at sea in the Malacca Strait, and this is a common location for, for exchanging uh, uh, cargo. So, and you take on top of that, the Malaysian domestic production is limited. Uh, so the question is, is how, how is Malaysia able to so, so significantly increase its oil export to China? And it's likely that those increased lives are coming from other countries uh, and then being blended um, in, in Malaysia, for example. So even though so you have the U.S. sanctions are, have put a, a, a chill effect um, on China, uh, China does not want to run a follow of, of U.S. sanctions. Uh, the the Chinese are um, still in, um, uh, you know they are still uh, uh, importing uh, Venezuelan oil uh, that um, uh, that is uh, used as repayment, uh, but a lot of that you know in, in the murky area of uh, of uh, international uh, oil transfers, it's in the end unclear. Where the oil, you know, this Malaysian oil or other oil that's being transferred at sea uh, is being essentially masked, uh, to so it doesn't appear as if it's directly coming from Venezuela. But at least they're they're trying to mask it, right? The Chinese are not interested in thumbing their nose openly at the U.S. The Chinese want. I mean, the, the Chinese uh, want, uh, uh, in the middle of this trade spat with the United States, the Chinese. Um, uh, are, 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 do not want to run a fall of, of U.S. sanctions. Yeah. So, um, thinking more specifically of the Venezuelan side, so we know Juan Guaido has reached out to Chinese representatives, Chinese officials. Does China have anything to gain by helping Venezuela democratize? Well, I think, Greg, you know, China has, it has a lot to gain, it has a lot to lose with Venezuela. There's um, uh, incredible... Uh, as, uh, as, as you talked about in the past, there's incredible economic mismanagement, uh, socio-political instability, uh, um, a, a major uh, humanitarian crisis, uh, health crisis, obviously the outpouring of migrants and refugees uh, from Venezuela as well. Um, and, 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 and also this instability has led to a, a sizable production collapse uh, in Venezuela and, and coupling with the U.S. sanctions. The U.S. sanctions have partly, you know, the, the, the production in Venezuela has reduced now down to about, I think, September about 750,000 barrels per day, which is, um, uh, you know, even December 2018, we were at 1.2 million barrels per day. And, and uh, this is 
one a re reflection of a, of a decrease in production capacity, but it's also a reflection of the U.S. sanctions, which are basically preventing Venezuelan oil from moving offshore. So you just you, just, you have a, a storage uh, uh, storage tankers that are, that are that are filled uh, on land. Uh, then you have ships with Venezuelan crude uh, that some that, that are basically um, uh, sitting at sea uh, and, and acting as, as floating storage tankers, and so. The, the, the economic mismanagement and political stability has um, taken what should be one of the world's larger oil producers, and uh, and uh, you know I think positioned uh, Venezuela to you know be producing you know less than 600,000 barrels per day uh, uh, shortly, which is just an incredible decline. Uh, China, as I said, China has lent uh, over 50 billion dollars to to Venezuela. Uh, of which at least $15 billion still needs to be uh, repaid even by conservative estimates. So so China, from a strategic point of view, should be in favor of a stable and a prosperous uh, Venezuela. And the key here, and this is something that we discussed at yesterday's uh, event at the Atlantic Council, is to communicate and prove that a peaceful and democratic transition to Venezuela that is inevitable and indispensable to prosperity and stability in Venezuela, and therefore the Chinese should get on board. Um, because um, the Chinese, uh, uh, they want stability, and the more that Maduro is seen as as, as perpetuating in, increased instability, uh, the, the less uh, the, the less interest it is for the Chinese to have, have Maduro in, in power. So uh, the Chinese have have, have uh, uh, gained by helping Venezuela democratize. When China recognizes that there is no other option than to democratize, and actually that democratizing will provide China with greater stability than before. Yeah. So, in other words, it, when it when it really boils down to it, China doesn't care a whole lot uh, who is in power, as long as whoever's in power is serving their own particular interests. Yes, and as long as whoever in power and their particular interest is stability, right? They, yeah. They're outstanding. Uh, they have. Uh, I think nearly 300 oil service firms uh, operating in, in Venezuela. So they got significant interests. And it's not just oil, um, but there's you know Chinese supermarkets. There's um, as I mentioned before, surveillance technology that the Chinese provide. And so the Chinese they they want stability. They want stability for their investments, and they want uh, stability for for future investments. Right. And they want to make sure that 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 that, that Venezuela is not seen by protesters in Hong Kong as a um, as an as a as a uh, opportunity in which the Chinese government uh, was not able to retain control of the situation. Right. Uh, right, and that's that's a tricky that's tricky right there. Um, I had a, a, a one other question though, in and that is. Um, you tend to I mean, we you hear a lot about China's investments in Venezuela, but Russia, at least in the media, I think gets uh, more attention. Is Russia's role more crucial than China's, or are they similar? You know, so Greg, you know, it's 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 hard to say. You know, who's more crucial? They're they're both different in a number a number of ways. And and, and actually, in June, we we uh, as part of our efforts on trying to accelerate peaceful democratic transition. Uh, we've been looking at, at how to how do you marginalize those countries that continue to to support Maduro despite the will of the Venezuelan people, and so did a, a similar event on Russia. And actually, I um, released a, a paper, I co-authored a paper uh, that was out last month, looking specifically at uh, Russia's role uh, in Venezuela. And and 
I think one thing would be to be cognizant of how Russia might act in, uh, under a few different scenarios, um, and the degree to which I think Russia is willing to play a spoiler. Now, Russia, um, Russia has much more of an ideological interest right. uh, in, uh, in a continuation of the Maduro regime. Uh, you know, uh, Chavez and, and Putin uh, struck up uh, quite a friendship in the mid 2000s. Uh, Russia was uh, Russia saw uh, Venezuela as being a key ally in the Americas and helping to advance Putin's goal of a more multipolar world. Uh, Venezuela is a, a major uh, purchaser of, of Russian Russian arms. Uh, so 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 and, and at the same time as Russia looks at. Ukraine and looks at um, the U.S. support for democratic forces in Ukraine. R Russia sees Venezuela as an opportunity in the U.S.'s own hemisphere to sow instability that will uh, affect uh, ultimately the United States, but also even more to, uh, immediately uh, some of the U.S.'s uh, closest allies, uh, you know, Colombia uh, among them. Uh, so, so there is there is much more of a, this ideological bent. There's there's less of a, of a there isn't a a focus like the Chinese have on peace and stability to protect investments. Uh, the Russians do have significant investments uh, in Venezuela as well, uh, including uh, Russian uh, oil service firms, um, and 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 and, uh, and and you also have significant interest from 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 Rosneft, uh, specifically uh, in, in Venezuela. Um, and, and, uh, and Venezuela is an important supplier then of, of crude to, to Russia, and Russia is of course uh, uh, not as concerned as the Rus as the Chinese are uh, about about U.S. sanctions. So, you know, I, I would also say that Russia's role um, is is also crucial because is also crucial in a different respect because the Russians help to provide Maduro with this veneer of um, international. Uh, uh, military support as well, right? Uh, Russian uh, nuclear-capable uh, bombers that have, that have landed in Venezuela. Uh, the Russians helped the Venezuelans to develop the, the cryptocurrency. They've supposedly helped to fix the electrical grid. Um, so, so there, there is for, for Russia. Russia, Venezuela is a low-cost, uh, high-reward opportunity to sow further instability that directly undermines U.S. interests. Uh, which is a which is a very it's a different tactic than the Chinese, uh, whereas because the Chinese are are interested in uh, peace, they're interested in stability, but they're also to protect their investments, and uh, they're they're uh, uh, the, the the I think the Chinese position could change at a certain point, again once the costs are raised for the Chinese of uh, continuing to support the Maduro regime, and once it be it's increasingly seen as inevitable. Uh, that uh, that uh, that the interim government uh, will assume full power. Okay, so let me ask you one super quick final question that you had at uh, at the event yesterday. Would, would you say was the uh, the the kind of concluding tone a positive one or a negative one? You know, we we actually did a couple of surveys throughout the uh, event using uh, 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 web-based technology, and one of the questions I asked is is can China be a force for good in promoting uh, a transition in Venezuela? And, and I'll be honest, the, the, uh, the, the responses from the audience uh, were about 50-50 uh, yes and no. Oh, okay. So um, uh, I, I think that it, it's, 
that, that uh, if the costs, as I said before, if the costs uh, are raised significantly, if, 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 if the support of the Maduro regime impedes China's interests more broadly and the rest of Latin America, th those two factors could help to, to change the Chinese possession. What will also be critical is, and, and the interim government has been doing this, but can, is, is um, uh, assurances to uh, continued assurances to the Chinese that any type of transition that their uh, investments uh, and their and their assets will be protected. Right. Um, the otherwise are not willing to go out on a limb. All right. Well, with that, uh, we're out of time. I've been talking to Jason Marzak, who is director of the Adrian Arsh Latin America Center at the Atlantic Council. Um, and I think I, I looked up on the website that is right the event you can watch it. You can watch it. Yes, available via webcast. We'll also be putting out a, um, a fifty-second highlight video as well for for those that, that uh, are are so inclined to watch that rather than the uh, full hour and a half events. <laughs> okay. All right, Jason. Thank you so much. Great. Good talking to you.